something the Lord said to me. You can't even see the background there. There's, there's, some, there's the heels of a bloke walking across the barefooted up the corner. You can't even see it. It's too dark. Uh, the subject is pilgrim. Pilgrim. Pilgrimage is an ancient Christian tradition, people traveling somewhere to find faith, enlightenment, help, encouragement. It's an ancient Christian tradition. John Bunyan wrote a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, which, after the Bible, is the best-selling Christian book in history. And if you haven't read it, please do. How many of you remember Thanksgiving in America? Do you know what Thanksgiving is about? It's the date on which the Pilgrim Fathers arrived in America to settle on the coast there. People who are fleeing religious oppression from the religious authorities in the UK sail to America to build a land for themselves of religious freedom. Non-conformist dissenting Protestants. They were called the Pilgrims. And in America, people dress up as pilgrims. They're dressed like as Puritans with stove hats and white collars and all that kind of thing. So I was thinking about this uh, phrase, which we'll come to in a while. And my mind went back to a scripture that I've known well for years. Let's pray before we get to the scripture. As far as we know, Lord, we open our hearts to you now to receive what you want to say to us. I believe that this has prophetic and pastoral impact for some of us here today. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, help every one of us to hear, to see, to embrace what you say. For it is by your truth that you set us free. It's by your truth that you cleanse and equip us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm not going to read the whole psalm, just this little bit of it. Psalm 84, verse 5. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, which means tears, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Each one, I'm adding in from the King James there, each one appears before God. In Zion. The Valley of Baca, the Valley of Tears, is only mentioned here in Scripture. Some say it was a literal valley that was on a route up to Jerusalem. So some pilgrims going to Jerusalem would have passed through this very dry, very arid, very difficult, rocky valley. Uh, so difficult, in fact, that they would shed tears of frustration because they were losing time and getting hot. But actually, valleys in the Bible often don't have a good press. In many places in the Bible, valleys are spoken of as places of conflict, valleys of war, valleys of darkness, valleys of death. Surely remember this one, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. He's a shepherd and his rod and his staff comfort me. These pilgrims in Psalm 84 had to pass through valleys. But when they were in the valley, 
they found there fresh spring living water. I said a week or two ago, living water in the Bible is the water that bubbles up. It's like they used to advertise Perrier spring water. Then they had to admit they put the bubbles into it. Mm. But you imagine when the water springs out, and, and it's, there, are, there are some Italian spring waters which are naturally fizzy. Gazers. Uh, I like those very much. I, I love, you know, uh, mineral water that has, you know, a bit of fizz to it. It's just nice, you know. But anyway, that kind of water, it's bubbling. It's got air in it, you know. It, 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 it's got sparkle in the glass. That is living water. Not dead water from a pool, living water from a brook. So even though this is a dry valley, somehow these people discover water there and are able to be refreshed. Now this, of course, is a, a, an analogy. How would we apply this to us spiritually, as we would say? Though that's not the right way to use that word. Going through a dry place, you find your refreshing, even there. Where from? Springs of living water from the Holy Spirit. You are refreshed by the Holy Spirit even in a valley of tears. <clears throat> this is a picture of the supply of God's Spirit. And if that was not enough, not only does the Spirit refresh them, but he pours rain of blessing upon them. And by the way, rain in the Bible is good news. If you live in a, an arid place like Canaan, Palestine, when it rains you go, yes. You don't go, it's raining again. You bless God for the rain. You need the rain. You won't get crops without rain. So the rain is refreshing and blessing the land. So these pilgrims, in through a valley of tears, a valley of difficulty, find strength in God through the, through the supply of the Spirit Living water bubbling up, rain coming down, two ways of describing that. And they continue on their journey. They go from strength to strength until each one appears in Zion. Their destination is Zion, the city of God. For them, it was a literal Jerusalem. For us, it's a heavenly Jerusalem. We're children of the heaven of Jerusalem, which is above, says Galatians. We're not citizens of this earthly Jerusalem but of a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God, the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21. Any number of old hymns and gospel songs come to my mind when I think about destination Zion and being a pilgrim. We're marching to Zion, good old hymn by Isaac Watts. I'm going up yonder, gospel song by Walter Hawkins. Then the song they sang, the hymn they sang, at the royal wedding just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yes. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. <laughs> Apologies to Welsh heritage people. <laughs> Gospel song. Again, I'm going through my world talking. Some of my favorite songs. And I'm grateful that because of my Christian upbringing, my heritage, even though I was a rebel right from my teens, as well as my own love for Christian music, there are many good songs which at time from time the Holy Spirit can run through my mind and I'm refreshed, I'm blessed again by thinking of the song and even singing it. Let's go back to Hebrews again. I want to pick up the thread about this city of God. I'm going to read, a, just, I try and read and not preach them. A number of scriptures to you. Starting in, starts with Abraham. Hebrews 11 verse 8. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. How many of you would like that kind of divine guidance? Eh? That's what he, that God said, come on, let's go. Where to? I'll tell you. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, in Canaan, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Not a a city built by a man. A city built by God. Not even Jerusalem could fit that one. He was looking for God's city. Not only God blessed it, but God had built it. Now Abraham was never actually going to see that city in his life, was he? But that's what God put in his heart. He was a pilgrim to what the Bible calls, in this prophetic language, Zion. The city of God. And then further down, summing up all the Old Testament saints, these faithful men and women through the centuries under the Old Covenant, these all died in faith without having received the promises. But they saw them from a distance, greeted or welcomed them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Another label for that? Pilgrims. Now those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For what? Listen, for he has prepared a city for them. Heavenly Jerusalem. Zion. There's a city prepared for them. And then, over in chapter 12, as Paul, I believe Paul wrote Hebrews, applies this to people under the new covenant, followers of Jesus Messiah. You have not come to Mount Sinai. That's, it goes on to describe Mount Sinai, mountain, the fire, and the giving of the law. and so on. We haven't come back to that Old Testament thing. You haven't come to Mount Sinai, thunderers and lightnings and ju- threats and judgments. Instead, verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion. Whoa, we've come to it. We are already citizens of Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of our God. Old Testament people could only look forward to it. We now are citizens of it. To myriads of angels in festive gathering. To the assembly of the firstborn. That should have a capital F. That's Jesus' assembly. He's the firstborn. Where his assembly, where his congregation, whose names have been written in heaven. To God, who is the judge of all. To the spirits of righteous people made perfect. All those Old Testament people now accepted in the presence of God through Jesus. And we've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood of Jesus, which speaks better things than the blood of Abel. And then lastly, in the middle of chapter 13, which is practical, pastoral, Moral instructions to people. Build on the doctrine, the truth that's already been built in Hebrews. Paul writes this. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come.
We are pilgrims on the way to Zion. We needn't spend too long imagining some great city. Revelation 21 pictures a city, but that city is also declared to be the bride of Christ. Is it a city or a bride? Yes. Both. It's a prophetic image to us. It's not an architect's plan that we're literally going to see something like that. This, this point about Zion in Scripture, it's the city of God. It's where he is, where he dwells, where he may be seen and where his company may be enjoyed. When we sing, if we do sing anytime, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. What we mean is we're heading home to be with our God, to see him, to be with him. By the way, folks, that is Christian biblical Zionism. Our heavenly city, our heavenly Jerusalem. Now here's the phrase that God put in my head and in my heart. And it was like a, like a, like a buzz. I couldn't shake it. And I'm so glad I'm preaching it to you this morning. Our station is not our destination. What I mean is there may be many stops or halts along the way as a pilgrim, but we need to remember our destination. We are marching to Zion. We're on a journey of faith to a heavenly inheritance and heritage. I want to tell you a story. You listening? Up there in the corner is Goodmates, where Karen and I used to live. Down here in Kent is Chatham. It's a dockyard. And in the early 90s, I worked for a shipping company. And I used to have to go out to different offices. And this day, I was supposed to meet my director at the dockyard in Chatham and go and see a business there and talk to them for the day. I set out early in the morning from Goodmates. And the journey wasn't as easy as that even in those days because that there goes through uh, Stratford International where there wasn't a junction there. You had to go into the middle and then come back out again. So I'm on a trip and I'm heading to Chatham. And by the way, let me show you what Chatham looks like. Come on, there's Chatham Station. I never got to Chatham Station. And I'll tell you why. I was so tired because I'd done, I, yeah, I was always getting up early and coming home late, journeys and things. And I fell asleep on the train. <laughs> now, Chatham's the end of the line. So I, if I'd have been asleep at the Chatham, they'd have got, thrown me off the train and been okay. But I woke up and I was, there was a, a sign, a platform. And I thought, whoa, 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 where am I? Where am I? I grabbed my office bag, big office bag, full of files. Didn't have a laptop in those days. Didn't have a mobile phone. This is early 90s. And I jumped off the train. And there was a guard there. And I said, is this Chatham? And I, I promise you, I, I'm convinced he said yes. <laughs> and he closed the door and the train went and I looked around. And I was somewhere a bit like that. Except there wasn't even a brick building. It was just a platform. And some steps going down to the road. What do I do? Now at that, moment, at that moment, somehow, I went into silly mode. Common sense would have said, stay here, David. There'll be another train soon. Yeah? From what I can figure out, there's Chatham down in the bottom there. Yeah? 
Let me do this screen thing. There's Chatham here, yeah? And I'm at a place called Hyam, which is a little halt. <laughs> what did I do? I walked off the state, the, the platform, that's all it was, and I started to walk. But did I walk this way? Sorry? Can't even get it. This way towards London. No, I walked that way. It's countryside. But the thing is, I could see from the platform, because it was on a hill, you know, scum, I could see there was a town down there. I walked to the town. I'll get my way from there. I start walking to the town. And the heavens open up. <laughs> it takes me 45 or more minutes to walk to this town. And when I get there, there's a new housing estate on the edge of it, so I'm not even there yet. I'm still trying to find my way through. And on the way there, I'm walking through the sides of... Because I'm trying to go in a straight line, not follow a road. I'm thinking, there's the town. I'm just gonna... So I'm walking down the sides of, 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 of uh, fields. And it's pouring with rain. I'm almost wet through. My shoes and my trousers are covered in mud. And here am I, walking in like some Yeti character <laughs> into this town. Finally, I get to a phone and I phone the Chatham office. My, my, my director, my, my boss at that time, was already there. Where are you, David? I said, I don't know. And I don't care. I'm going home. I'm not coming. He said, and I could tell by his voice, he thought, you wimp, what are you doing? Give it up. I said, I said I've just spent an hour in the pouring rain all wet through. I'm covered in dirt. I'm going home. Do you know, to this day, I can't remember how I got home. But I know when Carol came indoors later on there, I was sitting down, you know. I'd made myself some hot soup and I'm like trying to keep warm and get my heat. The point of telling you the story is just this. I want you to remember this phrase. This station is not your destination. Where you are now is not where you will be or where you should be or where you could be. You're on a journey, my friend. You're a pilgrim. So where you've got to now is not it. This is not it. There's a greater destination ahead of you. And there's even better stops than the one you're at now. I've talked so long my computer's gone off here. Because this is not our heavenly destiny. This is not our full and final reward. Where you are now, whether it's an Elim oasis, and Elim is named after an oasis in, uh, in Exodus, yeah, or a valley of tears, this is not your destination, this is just a station on the way. Now when I talk about moving on forwards, and if I use the word advancement or increase or whatever else, I'm not thinking of more income or moving to a larger home or those kinds of things. I, I remember a time when just about everybody who seemed to prophesy was always prophesying advancement and, and uh, what was the other word? Promotion. And I thought, do you, guys have, do you guys agree a vocabulary to use together? You know, everybody's talking about advancement and promotion. It's like, people get into these, these fads, don't they? You know? I got in and I gave up listening to them. Oh, advancement, promotion, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it, it wasn't just they were saying it to me, they said it to everybody. I thought, well, it can't be true for everybody. We're thinking here about going on in the Lord, growing in knowing him, living in and with him, becoming more like him. I have to remind you, God's primary and greatest blessings are not what he now does for us, but what he does in us. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every blessing of the Spirit in or from heavenly places. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessings of the Spirit. What we just read about in Psalm 84 pictured there in terms of living water and rain. Blessings of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming to equip you and help you and energize you and give you wisdom and give you authority and help you to live well. That's the better blessing. Don't stop until you reach your destination. Don't be put off by where you are now. It's not the destination. It's only, it's not even, where I got dropped off the train wasn't even a station. It's what they call a halt. I thought you'd enjoy the story. You can laugh at me, it's fine. (laughs) I told you I went into silly mode. I mean, look. You're on a journey, my friend. You're a pilgrim. This journey has obstacles and opposition to overcome along the way. People say, it's not a bed of roses. I don't know about the bed of roses. Don't roses have thorns? What? What's this obsession with a bed of roses? I think, I, you know, I don't get it. Rose petals, maybe, but, but roses? No. Keep the roses. I've, I've had enough of those when I prune them. There are, come back to the subject, David, there are obstacles and opposition to overcome along the way. But point B here, a diversion does not change the destination. You may be at times diverted, but there's a track to get back on. You may be discouraged and stop. There's a time to get back on and get going again. Think of a ship at sea. It has a destination. The navigators worked it out on the chart. The captain has the chart and is issuing the instructions. The helmsman sets the course. They do it electronically now, of course. The, the engineers and the, and, and the people down below are making sure that everything's working, the, 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 everything's working, the engine, the propeller, and all of these things. Because they're going to their destination. For some of them, it may be the home journey. They're coming back to home port. They're going to get off the ship. They're going to go and see their families. How determined are men in that situation to get there? Very. Very. When a storm blows up, the waves are crashing, the wind is blowing, the ship is being rocked, which is side to side, and tossed, which is up and down. I don't want to make you seasick. I've been there. A journey like that. But they know that safe harbour is ahead. So do they stop? Do they give up? No, they sail on. There are obstacles, opposition, difficulties to overcome along the way. And sometimes these things happen because of voices. Now, I swear that the railway guard said Chatham, but never mind. But there will be voices that come into your head that say something like this, give up. Just stop here. Stay where you are, this will do. Don't press on, don't make the effort. It's not worth it. I've heard those voices. Isaiah says prophetically, every Every voice that rises up against you in judgment, you will condemn. Yes. 
So you can choose your language, but you should say to such a voice and such a, such a, a suggestion, you know where you can go. Condemn it. Dismiss it. Damn it. Send it away. No! As obstinately as you like. Stamp your foot if it helps. But resist it. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? Because the Holy Spirit is our encourager, our strengthener, our inspirer, our motivator, our guide, our equipper. He helps you to get on and get done. He doesn't put you down. He doesn't discourage you. That is not his mission. Anytime you feel condemned and put down and, and, and dispirited, God did not put you there. The Holy Spirit didn't make that happen. You listen to another voice. And you need to condemn that voice and dismiss it. He will urge you to get up and go on, the Holy Spirit will. We deal with opposition and obstruction and obstacles as things to be overcome. Some of you have heard me say many times now, you're only an overcomer when you overcome. overcome. Exactly. It's what qualifies you for the title. You, you hurdled that. You bashed through that. You dismissed that and fought on. Truth is, sorry, faith. I'm in the light again. <laughs> It's nice to be in the light, but it doesn't help me standing here. Faith is properly presented in many places as a trick that you pull to get what you want in life, to make things happen. I invest this faith and God has to make it happen. Yeah? That is not what the scriptures teach us. Faith in the Bible is represented to us as a walk, as a journey, as a race, as a fight. There are things to endure and there are things to overcome in faith in God. It's a life to be lived, not just stuff to get. Here's another problem for us on this journey as pilgrims. We mistake what is safe. We mistake comfort and ease for security. Let me give you, feed you this one. It's a longer, longer statement. Christians are in a more dangerous place when they are comfortable in the world than when they are uncomfortable. Christians are in a more dangerous place when they are comfortable with the world. It's okay, I'm fine, it's all good, look at this. Than when they are uncomfortable. I'll tell you why. Go back to the children of Israel. Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The children of Israel were in a better place in the wilderness under the cloud of God and supplied by the hand of God than when they settled in the promised land. The Lord said through Moses that once they'd settled in the land, they would forsake Yahweh and serve foreign gods. The memorable phrase for me is in Deuteronomy where it says that they would become like a lazy ox who grows fat and kicks. I'm not pulling the thing. You can you know what you can do. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. See, we can be settlers. This'll do. I'm fine. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, oh, sorry. Yeah, holds my weight. Yeah. Or we can be pilgrims. No, that isn't it. It's okay, but that's not it. 
Every one of us needs to have a hunger in our heart that says again and again, this is not it. I'm still on the journey. A Christian friend of mine, he's with the Lord now, told me that one of his favorite songs, in fact, probably his favorite song, was not a worship song, it was you two. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Happy in God. Blessed by my Father. But I know this isn't it. This isn't all there is. And because of that, you're a pilgrim. I'm still walking forward. And sometimes I have to run and sometimes I have to fight. But it's a journey. We can be settlers or we can be pilgrims. A settler outlook says, this, is, this will do. I have all I need here. But you... Every one of you as a human being have greater and deeper needs than can be met by capitalism and, and, and commerce and purchases and cash flow and all the rest of it. You have deeper needs than can be met by those things. More will not satisfy your soul. Only God can fill you. And then also Jesus told us and John in his letters and Paul in his letters said, we are not of this world. We're not of this world. And the more we associate and become like Jesus, the more the world would dislike us and resent us. The world will hate us because it hated Jesus. If we are close to the world, we've moved away from him. I need to back that up with some scripture. 1 John 2 verse 15. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in him. Now the world there is kind of like the earth and everything in it. All the goods, the possessions, the social lifestyles, things, all of those things. If you really love the world, you don't love God. And the world with its lust, appetites, is probably a better word there, is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. And I think I've got these verses out of order, yes. Verse 16 in the middle there. Everything that belongs to the world, the lust or the appetite of the flesh, your body, the lust, the appetite of the eyes, covetousness, greed. How many of you say your eyes are bigger than your belly? We used to say in the Midlands. Someone sat down, they gave themselves too much on their plate. Your eyes are bigger than your belly. Greed of the eyes. And the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And then it says, to go back, The world with its appetites, all of these appetites, is passing away. But the one who does God's will remains forever. And James, if you think John there is getting a bit, you know, a bit feisty. Oh, boy. Look at James. 4 verse 4. You adulteresses. That includes blokes. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Now this is not just associating with people so we can have conversations, so we can help them, so we can talk to them about Jesus, we can just be good neighbours. This is about you joining the crowd. You want to be in rather than out. But I am out because I'm a Christian. I belong to Jesus. I can't be in. I can't belong to that crowd, to that way, to that lifestyle, to those values. 
and talk about what you take on the journey. What do you take on this journey of faith to be a pilgrim? Simple answer, very little. As little as possible. First of all, Scripture says that we are to lay aside, to throw away like, like weights that are holding us down. Everything that weighs us down, especially the sin that so easily gets hold of us, and some of us have particular besetting sins. We need to, you know, we need to get a big machete to them. You know, like, yeah. You think I'm being violent. Jesus said, if your eye offends, you pluck it out. If your hand offends, you cut it off. There's a kind of holy... No, he's not talking about literal eyes and hands, I'm sure. But you need, there's a holy violence in dealing with sin that we, we just don't get... We're not, we're not man and woman enough to do. Hate it. And deal with it. God, help me here. God, help me here. Besetting sins. But then also other things that weigh us down. One of the reasons Jesus gave us in the parable of the seeds and the, the, seeds and the soils, it's not really the seeds and the soils, it's the seeds and the soils, that having heard the truth, we don't grow. Is this, the deceitfulness of wealth and the wanting for more chokes the word. The wanting for more. You're a good capitalist. You're making the whole uh, visa system almost fall over itself because you're buying so much. That appetite for more chokes growth in God. Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out, take nothing for the road, he told them. They're going on a journey. They don't even know how long they're going to be out there. No walking stick. You know, people always had walking sticks in those days. He said, no, don't take one. No staff, no walking stick. No traveling bag. We're not going to carry any. No bread. No money. Don't even take an extra shirt. And whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they welcome you, stay there. What they give you, eat it. Then he says, again, Luke 10. Not once. He says it again in Luke 10. When you say to the household, peace to this household. And then when they come back, he questions them. He says, when I sent you out with that money bag, traveling bag, sandals, Did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. My point is this. As a pilgrim, whether you think about it or not, we live entirely on depending on God. He's our supplier. He's in charge of the cash flow. He's in charge of the food supply. He's in charge of where the clothing comes from. They were to depend upon God and also the people that God directed them to, or them to, the, you know, directed those people to them, whichever way around. God doesn't just drop things from heaven. In fact, he does it very rarely. Usually he directs people to come and help you. And you need to receive that help and you need to honor the help and pray a blessing upon those people. Yeah? We travel under the hand of the Lord, dependent upon him. Travel light. Be careful how much baggage you carry. I remember when we were packing up to move house, and I was <laughs> not from not from Harlow to Harlow, but from Goodmaster to Harlow. 
and, and I had a little room. It's a one single bedroom room, and that was my little office den at the time in that house. Really tiny, and the books everywhere. And I looked around and thought, how am I going to do this, all this? So I, I, I printed out a scripture and put it on, on the wall in front of me. Do you know what it was? A man's life does not consist in how much he owns. It's the words of Jesus. A man's life, woman's life too, does not consist in how much they possess. See, the, the thinking of the world is, grab all the goodies, you know, get it all before you die. What they forget to say is, and when you die, you lose the lot! Be careful how much baggage you carry. They're saying now that the millennials, you know, people born around the turn of the century, are learning to travel light. Fortunately, in some very unhelpful ways too. But, you know, they they rely on an iPad, an iPhone or whatever. So they they don't have a laptop or a computer. They don't have a desktop because they they can get done. They only need this. They they don't carry around great big bags. They have a small bag because they've figured, I only need this and this and this and everything else is done this way. They're just whittling down to what they regard as being necessary to live with. It's interesting mentality. Interesting mentality. It relies a lot on technology because then you don't have to carry books. You don't have to carry pens and notepads and whatever else. But interesting thinking. Because I think for us as Christians, as pilgrims, we need to have a mentality about, do I need this? Or is it baggage? If we're going to walk well, run well, you've got to carry as, less, as little as possible. Now, I did, just, I did not just say to you, sell your house and your furniture, did I? You understand? understand me sensibly here. But be careful about the acquisition mode. Got to buy, 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 buy. The government wants you to buy, 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 because it helps the GDP and the economy. But it's not good for us as Christians to have that mentality. It's an obstacle to running well or walking well. Finally, you know the verses of Amazing Grace by John Newton that we always used not to sing. They were always left out. When I was younger, they'd sing verse 1, 2, and the last one, but leave out the ones in the middle. (laughs) These two were often left out. Through many dangers, toils, I have already come. It's grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. But the old way they used to sing, it was amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. I once was lost, but now I found it was blind, but now I see. You know, the, the hour I first believed, when we've been there 10,000 Hang on a minute, there's a whole life to live between those two places. There's a whole life between the hour you first believed and when we get there. And we need the grace of God for the whole of life to permeate and fill and fuel every bit of our lives. There's a journey in between. And that journey, I'm not making it up, Jesus told us, warned us, is a journey with many dangers and toils and snares to be overcome. But it isn't your grit, your determination, that's going to get you through. It's grace 
that gets us through. It's the supply of God's help, God's spirit, God's strength, God's wisdom. Give us this day our daily bread. Not just the bits on there. Every bit of life, everything we need today, Lord, you're our supplier. Every bit of energy and health, every bit of understanding and wisdom so I don't start walking in the wrong direction when I'm stuck on a platform. My friend, you're on a journey. It's the walk and the life of faith. How are you doing? Where are you? You may have got diverted. You may be standing still. You may be facing obstruction and opposition. But wherever you are in life today, you need to know this. Your station, where you are, is not your destination. This is not it. And... I, I pray that you will have a holy discontent that says, I will not settle for this. I'm going to trust God and pray and listen to him and see where he will help me to go next in growing in him and with him. Lift your eyes and your heart to God and ask him to guide you, equip you and empower you to journey well. Let's go back to Psalm 84. I love these verses. Happy are the people whose strength is in you. Not in themselves. They're not self-confident. They're not, you know, assertive and, you know, bullish about life. Oh, I can do this. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through a valley of tears, they make it to be a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. And refreshed in that way, as we understand it by the Spirit, by the grace of God, they go from strength to strength. Each appears before God in Zion. Or as Jesus said, not one will be lost. You may be in a time of trouble, even a time of tears. Some days are days of trouble. And some days, almost every hour has trouble. And some hours, almost every minute has trouble. But because Jesus, our Savior, has by his blood purchased mercy and grace for us, we can have these. Mercy to deal with our failure. Grace to equip us today. Peace at the end of each day. And hope for tomorrow. Amen. 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 Let's pray together.